Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. Good morning, everyone. It's great to see all of you, and uh, for those of you who are joining us online, it's great uh, to have you here, too. Um, I am today going through, we're going to be in chapter 2 of Colossians, and today, if, if you're someone that doesn't, isn't as big a fan of when it feels like a classroom setting in here, you're probably not going to like today's sermon. But if you do enjoy the, some of the ways I can kind of maybe be too much like a teacher up here, uh, then you're going to be in for a treat today um, because I'm, I'm excited. Today we're kind of getting to a, an important point that I've been hinting at for a while, but now it's finally time to really discuss it, which is from the very beginning of this letter, the very beginning of this letter, the idea was that Paul is in prison and that one of either one of his fellow inmates or maybe someone who's just come to visit him to talk to him while he's in prison, his name is Epaphras. And Epaphras is this man who started this church in Colossae. And he has come to Paul to tell him about some things that he's concerned about that the church is facing. You could call them conflicts. You could call them possible threats, whatever you want to call it. And I've hinted at those things, and today, finally, it's time to discuss what those things are and to give them real tangible names and and things because this is what the church is facing. The church is facing two things. Uh, There are people who are trying to convince them that they need to keep worshiping the gods of their Greek and Roman history and that they need to really, really observe the Jewish law. It might be that there's some people that are trying to convince them of this worship of gods and these other group of people trying to convince them to observe the Torah. But either way, those are the issues. And I can already imagine you starting to think, Uh, okay, well, does that mean this whole sermon's not going to be relevant to me? Because I don't have a single person in my life trying to convince me to worship other gods, and I don't have a single person in my life trying to convince me to become more Jewish, to be a Christian. But I hope, I think you're going to see that it's still relevant. But let me me just talk about these for a little while and shed some more light on, on these things. Back then, if you lived in a Roman or Greek town, you believed that there were two types of inhabitants in the town. The people who lived there and the gods and goddesses of that town that you couldn't quite see. I know that may sound weird, but everyone believed that. Everyone believed that you had, you were just as much mingling with the gods as you were with the people. You just couldn't see the gods or goddesses. And usually cities would have, they would be dedicated to a certain god or goddess, to Artemis or to Apollo or Zeus or something like that. And the idea was that if something bad happened to the town, if disease ransacked the town, or if a lot of the cattle were getting sick, or if there was a hurricane, or if there was an earthquake, the idea was, okay, who made the gods upset? Who disrupted the, the order with the gods? And the prime suspects would be the Christians. Because the Christians were people who were going around saying, well, we actually don't really believe those gods are real anymore. Well, you want to know a good way to make those gods upset would be to to say that you don't think those gods are uh, relevant anymore. And so there's all this pressure for them to say, listen, I know you're saying you're following this new God and you're following this, this Savior Jesus, but please... Don't get rid of the other gods. Just add Jesus into the group. You know, add him as a deity into the collection. Keep kind of 
doing the things that we have to do to keep our gods and goddesses happy and just add Jesus into the mix and then everything will be okay. And that's part of the pressure this church is facing. Some of the people are telling them, you can't keep disrupting and making the gods angry by not following them anymore. And then on the other side, you have these Jewish Christians who have spent their whole life hearing one thing. Love the Lord your God. The Lord your God is one. There is one God. And if you really want to follow that one God, yes, you can believe Jesus and believe he's the Messiah. But if you're going to do that, you better still follow the one God. And to them, that looks like keeping the Sabbath, eating kosher, that men are to be circumcised. All those things are things that if you really want to complete yourself as a Christian, yeah, you can believe in Jesus, but we think that you're supposed to actually keep going and keep observing these Jewish laws that we've been observing our whole life. And so Paul's response to this is he's saying, if you do either of these things, if you either still kind of fear and respect these other gods, and if you still feel like you need to follow these laws of Torah, you are doing a disservice to what Jesus did on the cross. You are diminishing his act of dying on the cross because what you're saying is, well, I, I know Jesus probably took care of everything, but just to be safe, I'm going to keep practicing these Jewish laws. Or just to be safe, I'm going to keep offering a sacrifice every once in a while to Apollo. And so what, what you might hear, and I, I can totally relate, you may be thinking, I just don't have that pressure anymore. I don't feel any pressure to worship other gods. I don't feel any pressure to keep these Jewish laws. But what I do think we have to realize is that we do face pressure in our everyday lives to worship other gods. They just go by different names now. They're not called Hermes and Apollos and Zeus. They're called money. And they're called security. And they're called notoriety. And they're called relevance. And they're called whatever you wanna, people want to label them as today. We're told from a very young age, yes, Jesus is important, but you got to make sure you, you take care of this other stuff too, or you know, life's not going to go great. We have those, that pressure still today. And then also, we may, not, you know, we may not be pressured to keep a Sabbath like we used to. We may not be pressured to eat kosher like we used to. But there are many ways still that Christians all around the world are told, you aren't a good enough Christian yet until you do these things just right until you are there every single Wednesday night, until you are the person who every morning has to do these different things. And, and we find that sometimes we as a church, I'm not talking about Clifton, I'm talking church, we as a church can be guilty of adding rules of things that you're supposed to, you're supposed to pay attention to those things and we take away sometimes from, from Jesus. And so what we're going to do is we're going to be reading from this passage. I wanted to lead with that because I think it's going to shed a lot more light as we read. But Paul gives us three really powerful images to describe his point. Really great images. And so if you would, turn in your Bible to Colossians 2, verses 8 through 12. Um, and I'm going to be reading a section, then talking about that image, and then reading a section, and then talking about that image. And so if you would, follow along with me. I'm just going to read the first little bit and then tell you about this word captive. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. He's saying, don't let anyone deceive you that there's some special wisdom or these gods that you're supposed to pay attention to. And he also is giving a little nod here to not having to pay attention to this observing the Torah. And I'll tell you, it's cool because 
In Greek, we'd be able to notice this better, but this word captive, to take something captive, in Greek, the word is syllagogon, okay, however you pronounce that, which looks so similar to the word synagogue. And so what Paul is kind of doing is he's kind of making a word play that these Jewish Christians are trying to take them captive, saying you need to observe these Jewish laws still. And so he's like giving a little bit of a... Uh, it would be like if uh, someone was running for mayor and their last name was Locke and someone who didn't want them to win mayor put up a sign that said, don't let Locke, don't let Locke lock you up. You see what I mean? It's like a play on the word to, and that's what Paul's doing here. He's playing on this word, take you captive, that this is what those Jewish Christians are wanting to do to you. They're wanting to take you captive to believing you still have to follow these rules. Paul goes way more into this in Galatians, much more sternly. So anyway, let's go back to reading. Um, verse 9, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. All the fullness of God lives incarnate in Jesus. And in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In Him you were also circumcised. Let me see. Uh, i got to go to the next slide. In Him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through your faith in the working of God, who raised Him from the dead. And so this first image that Paul gives us, if you're keeping, if you like lists, he gives us three images. And this new one is of a new initiation into the community. If you were someone who was following God, there was one way that you were initiated into the community, and it was through circumcision, if you were a male. That's how you were welcomed in. And what Paul's doing is that Jesus Christ has given us a new way to be welcomed into the community. And I want to point out, he kind of does this in a really cool way. He says, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands, but the, the, your whole self was ruled by the flesh. And it was, he says, put off, but the idea that would be better would be your whole self was cut off. So the imagery here is, back then, you used to be initiated through circumcision where a part of your body was cut off in order to show that you were a part of God's family. Now he's saying, through the work of Jesus Christ dying on the cross, your whole old life has been cut off. Not just a piece, but your whole life, this old way that you used to live, has been cut away and you are now initiated into the family. And so he's saying, don't fall into these rules that these Jewish people are giving you that you have to be circumcised. You've been circumcised already. Jesus Christ did it on the cross. He did it by not just cutting off a part of you, but cutting off your whole old self. And now you are newly initiated. And he uses baptism to say, this is what baptism is. Baptism is the dying of your old self, the cutting off of your old life, dying with Christ and being raised with Christ into this new family, this new life where you have all the fullness of Him dwelling in you. It's very powerful and profound. Another thing that I think is really beautiful, I just want to point it out. Back in the day, the way you knew you were part of God's family was circumcision. And that was only available to men. There's no, men are the only ones that can be circumcised. And how powerful is it now that the new thing that Jesus teaches us to do that says you are now a part of God's family is baptism, which is available to men and women. I think that's a very beautiful, powerful thing. What better way for someone to feel included than to say, hey, this thing that was limited from you all along, you are now able to be a part of this family. Because before, how could a woman be circumcised? She couldn't. So anyway, I think that's pretty profound, pretty powerful. So now let's read about the second image, okay? Okay. 
this is verse 13. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, saying basically, when you used to be... Uh, wait, what was I doing? Okay, where am I? There, you, there we go, we're still there. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ and He forgave us all our sins. Now we'll keep reading. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. So now our second image here is this idea of a canceled debt. And this phrase here that we see, this phrase that where he says the charge of our legal indebtedness, this would have been a very known thing back in Colossae. There, what would have happened is if, let's say, let's say Ginger had uh, come over and she had to buy something from the store, but she didn't have the money. She would write on a piece of paper basically saying, I owe you... $20 for groceries uh, that I didn't spend. I, and she would sign her name and give it to them. And basically those people had it as a way of saying, Ginger owes me money. Now it could be even more extreme than that. It could be, you might owe someone a whole lot of money. Like, basically like an invoice. Hey, this is, you owe this amount of credit. And what it says here is that Jesus has taken our debt that we owe and he has nailed it to the cross. And what I think is so powerful is when I was younger and I used to hear this passage, here's what I used to imagine. It used to be, hey, Jason, here's a list of all your sins. Here's a list of everything you've ever done wrong. Here, and I'm just going to rip it up. Jesus just tore it up. And that's not quite the image. Yes, that's part of it. But part of the image that Paul is saying is Jesus took your debt, took Joe, he took everything that you've ever done wrong, and he nailed it to the cross and he took it upon himself. He didn't tear it up and say, you don't have to pay this anymore. He said, I'm paying it. I'm putting it on myself. I'm going to nail me to the cross. I'm going to be nailed to the cross. And all your sins are going to be nailed with me. And in effect, it wasn't that your debt was just ripped away. Your debt was paid for by Jesus Christ on the cross. That's the second image I think is really powerful. And then this last and third image is probably the coolest one in my opinion. Probably my favorite. It says, And having disarmed the powers and authorities... He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So now we're back to talking about these other gods and deities and philosophies, these powers and authorities, whether you see them or not. And what it's cool is Paul is saying, he's saying that Jesus Christ disarmed them. He took away their power. And it says that he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So here's the image that Paul's describing that we aren't really familiar with, but this is how this would have worked. Whenever a king would have gone and conquered another nation, what he would have done is he would have defeated the other nation, and then whenever they came back, they didn't have like online marketing to brag about their victory. You know, they can't, they can't post a video on Facebook to say like, look, we totally destroyed this nation. Look, I'm here live. Look, we, we destroyed everything. They, they didn't have that ability. They didn't have marketing teams. But this was how their marketing teams worked. They would get all the treasures and all the spoils, and they would take as many slaves as they wanted, and they would parade them through the city. They would bring them through the town and basically be like, look, we uh, killed them. We destroyed them. We, uh, we won big time. Look at this. And then at the very end of the procession would usually be the king of that other nation being embarrassed, being made a spectacle of, maybe being made to walk naked through the town, maybe riding on a donkey backwards or something like that. They would do whatever they could to say, look at this guy, what an idiot, he lost to us. 
And for all intents and purposes, if you lived back then, that is what you would have seen if you heard that Jesus Christ had been crucified. You would have seen the idea of this rebel king trying to start an uprising, being made an embarrassment, having to walk through town, being naked and beaten, carrying his own cross, being completely embarrassed, held up in front of everyone. Back then, it, you know, back then it would have been incredibly embarrassing for a man to not be fully clothed, like everything to be covered. So Jesus was made a spectacle of by being put on, a, on the cross. And what Paul is saying that is so profound is he's saying, oh, I meant to do the third image, is that the crucified king, the one who looks like you, he ought to be embarrassed, he came and he made a spectacle of the powers and authorities by dying on the cross. It says that having triumphed through his death on the cross, Jesus made a public, public spectacle of those other powers and authorities. He made them look embarrassed. He's the one that stripped them of their power. See that word where it says uh, he disarmed them? A lot of things I read said it probably should be translated, he stripped them. So just like Jesus was stripped and made embarrassed, he did that to them. He came and he said that all these other powers and authorities, they don't come anywhere close to what Jesus, who Jesus Christ is as Lord and King. And he did that in what the world would have considered an embarrassing way. And so here's the point that I think is so crucial to all this. Paul is asking this church, why do you spend any time being afraid of following and obeying these other gods when you've been told that Jesus Christ is so much greater than all of them and that he's triumphed over them in his crucifixion? He has put all of those other things to shame. And we are invited to ask that same question. Whenever you get caught being afraid of whether or not you're going to have enough to make it as far as all the things this world says you're supposed to care about. Are you, well, am I going to be wealthy enough? Am I going to be popular enough? Are, am I, do I, you know, sadly, some people do have to struggle with this. Am I beautiful enough? Am I pretty enough? Am I significant enough? All those gods that go by different names, Paul is saying, why are you giving them any time of day? Jesus Christ has triumphed all over all of those things. And you have him dwell, dwelling fully in you. And then this question of these Jewish people, Jewish Christians trying to say, you have to follow, you have to be kosher, you have to be circumcised, you have to follow all these Jewish laws. He's saying, why, why are you giving them any time of day? Of course you don't have to do that because what you have is Jesus Christ, the fullness of God incarnate dwelling in you. Of course you don't need anything else to make you more and more complete as a Christian. And so the last thing I want to say is, in honor of the 4th of July, one of my favorite things to think about, about Independence Day, is the fact that today we celebrate the fact that we were, uh, our country was living under a tyranny that was uh, tyranny without representation. And there was a captivity to it. And we have been freed from that. And I always find it interesting that the ma mo main reason why people don't want to be a Christian, in my opinion, is that it seems like it's a, a type of captivity to following a whole bunch of rules and living a really lame life. Man, everything that's fun, Christians, we can't do those things. So I don't want to be captive to that. I'd, I'd rather be free. And yet the message of the gospel is that before you know Jesus Christ, no matter how much fun you're having, no matter what your life looks like, you are a captive. You are a captive to thinking you have to worship these other gods. You are a captive to thinking there's all sorts of rules that you have to follow to know Jesus or to have salvation and to know God. That is captivity. And what Paul is coming in is he's saying is, the very first line of this section is, see to it that no one takes you captive. Because if you know Jesus Christ fully, you are free. 
You are completely free because you know that there's no set of rules that you have to follow anymore. There's no, oh, if I live good enough, and there's no, nothing you have to be afraid of any, anything anymore. Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm completely free. I have everything I need because I have Christ. If you would l- like to learn more about what it means to live a life where this being a Christian isn't about a new set of rules that all of a sudden is going to bog down your life. It's a, a freeing of things that you, the world tells you to be afraid of. It's a freeing of following these guidelines to become more perfect. Jesus Christ came and he said, I'm doing the work in you. I'm dying for you. And if you'd like to learn more about that, we'd love to talk to you about that journey. You can come while we sing this song or you can come afterwards. And there are going to be our elders. If you have any prayer requests, they will be standing at the exits while we stand and sing.